Welcome to a special edition of Radical Abundance, where Dan and I recently had the opportunity to speak at a church in the United States. The topic is South Sudan Reset, and the text is Romans 12. First thing you do when you reset your phone is wipe everything off it. You delete it all, right? You start with a clean slate. Wouldn't that be nice sometimes? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Could we get a do-over from time to time? Yet, we don't get to wipe it clean, do we? We don't get to clean the slate. And you know what? Praise God that we don't. Because that stuff we would like to get rid of, instead, we can transform. And we're going to talk a little bit today about the South Sudan reset. And I hear this is a hot topic in the United States. And I'm hoping as we talk a little bit about the culture in South Sudan and the culture that Paul talks to us about in Romans, that we'll see some things that will transcend cultures, transcend countries and borders and will apply to our lives in both contexts. That's my hope. So we read Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 together, and we're going to really settle into verse 2 today uh, quite a bit. And I want to take a look at this first part and talk about cultural confirmation. This is actually the problem that Paul was addressing. Now, I know the word confirmation is a little bit weird. We use it in different ways in the Christian community and in some theological traditions, but I'm a grammarian. I teach English at the college level, so please bear with me. That prefix, con, actually means with, to go along with, Something And so when you are conforming to the culture, this is exactly what Paul was addressing. The problem he was addressing, he says, do not be conformed to this world. So the problem with this is, is that God created mankind, and we're told back in Genesis 2, that we were actually instructed to cultivate the garden that he had given us. Cultivating means to build, create, grow something. That's we were designed to create the culture of this world. Now, fast forward here to the New Testament church and Paul, whenever he's writing a letter, he's writing that letter to address a problem. This is the problem that was happening in the church at that time is that the church was conforming to the culture around them. And so Paul says, do not conform to this world. What should the church have been doing? Instead of conforming to the world, they should have been creating the culture of the world. But because we, as followers of God, failed to create the culture of the world, the world created a culture in which we now exist in this physical world. And so we're faced with this problem every day of choosing whether we conform to the culture or whether we transform the culture. And we're going to talk about that a little bit, what it looks like in South Sudan. If you consider the culture of South Sudan and you consider the culture in the U.S. or the Western world, we've been noticing as we go to South Sudan that there's a lot of oppression there and there's a lot of, um, of a thin veneer of Christianity over the culture. And doesn't it sound a little bit like what's happening here in the West 
the, the culture of Christianity, that true reformation that happened through the revivals and through the reformation, that's disappearing. And the culture of the world now, um, or the non-Christian culture, that culture is becoming the dominant. We're becoming post-Christian. And the culture of the world is discipling us. Now, as Teresa was saying, we were supposed to transform the, the culture, culture and pattern it after virtues and biblical principles. And the culture instead was transforming us. And so we, we're in this enigma now as to what to do about that. And when we apply the principles of God's word to, to transforming the culture, those principles are based on truth. And we do this out of relationships. And so the mission work here is very similar to the mission work over there. In fact, what oftentimes I tell people is, is if you have experience working in the inner city and you understand the sin root problems, they're no different. We'd love to have particularly those people come and work with us in South Sudan because they understand where sin is taking us. And I think the culture here has blinders on. It doesn't understand where, the, where sin is taking us. And this idea of a, of a great reset, the world is turning in all the wrong places for answers. And part of the problem they're turning, the world is turning to other places for answers is because oftentimes the Christians in their lifestyle and in their, in their ways, their interaction, they're not relevant to the question the world is asking. And so this is a major, major problem. And what we're trying to do in South Sudan is very much like the same mission that you guys have here in transforming the world. I was just looking at the problem that Paul was addressing in the Old Testament, particularly in, in, in the, among the Corinthians. We see the same problems. Um, he was addressing gluttony and, and immorality and um, everybody thinking that they were lofty or kind of a pharisaical attitude and forgetting the weightier matters of Christianity, straining out a, a, a gnat and swallowing a camel kind of, kind of thing. And so many different inerrant problems there that were part of that culture, culture in all the places that Paul went and where, where he was addressing those in the epistles. And we see this in South Sudan. And oftentimes we allow the culture to kind of Christianize some of those, some of those worldly concepts. Sometimes I hear this, this idea that um, um, when I, when I, make a suggestion about how they can better steward their time or their resources in South Sudan. They'll come back with, with, a, with something that's rooted in their animistic culture. They'll, they'll come back with the idea that, oh, well, God's going to take care of us. And really, if we're just expecting kind of handouts from God, how is that, how is that really going to, to be an answer to the world, the questions the world is asking? If we're just going to live in our own little blessed community, sequestered and sequestered from the, from the world, and, and, um, and not get out there and transform the world and be relevant to the world, we're not being very effective in, in that. And that's what we're called to do. And that's what we're called to do in South Sudan, too. So once uh, Paul identified the problem, the, the church conforming to culture, he said, here's the solution. The second part of the verse, it says, 
but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So the problem was communal in the culture, societal, right? And people were going with the flow, but the solution is personal. The solution is individual. Now, in a tribal culture, a collective culture like South Sudan, oftentimes you do see individual transformation happening in groups. Uh, that does happen because one brave person takes a step and then other people quickly, quickly follow. Uh, but here, I want to talk just a moment about that personal transformation. Now, again, here's my English lesson for you. That prefix trans means to go through and to completely change. And so because we did not create culture, cultivate the culture in the first place, we allowed the world to cultivate the culture for us, now we are faced with the task of transforming and it's through the renewal of the mind. So we transform ourselves through the renewal of the mind. Okay, now what's the mind? And we have a lot of terms we use we talk about we have, we're body, mind, and spirit. We're body, soul, and spirit. The mind we think with, but it's also our personalities and our emotions. And those things are in this context of the mind. All of those things need to be transformed. Sounds like an easy task, right? <laughs> My grandkids have those little vehicles that change into a robot, right? Yeah, you push a button, transformers. You know, more than me. See, I, I think that's how it goes. I don't know. But um, <laughs> so that should be easy, right? You push a button. You say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I'm transformed. Ta-da! New person. It isn't, sometimes it works that way. But sometimes it doesn't. Because those old things that didn't get reset with a delete, they're still there. And they come, they sneak back in. And those habits can be hard to break. However, we are given a tool called the Holy Spirit to help us through this transformation process. Amen. You think? <laughs> Iowa. <laughs> and we're given a tool called the living and active word of God that will help us through this transformation process. It is not a push the button Say your prayers, raise your hand, kneel at the altar, any of those things. Those things can activate it, but it's a process. And that's what we've seen in South Sudan is that people came and evangelized, but didn't do the work of discipleship. And that is where we're at. And I think that's where we're at in the church in the United States also. And it is a personal, individual situation that has to happen one by one by one. And so when we consider what what's happening in this in this transformation, oftentimes we consider that, um, well, Christianity, that's that's freedom. And so we talk about the individual and and being being free kind of from that legalistic, oppressive system, system of the Pharisees and and things. But we also need to understand there is a individual responsibility to live and and be ambassadors for Christ and to be maximally transformative in the culture around us. And so this freedom, this freedom that we we think we have, if we don't act responsibly with that freedom and be disciple in discipleship of others and and 
maximally figuring out what's our strategic plan to do that and working together with other Christians using the giftings and the skills and the talents and uh, special abilities you have and taking leadership and and in this transformative process we're not going to find those areas of relevance to the to the world because we're not even focusing on that we might be saying saying look um everything around us is really bad we need to get out and, and apart from this and we need to separate ourselves selves move to um, idaho or something like that and uh so this is the kind of attitude that oftentimes the christian community has today today and and we're not the Bible says that we're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. And I think, yeah. And I think we've got the thing completely backwards because we're trying to get out of the world and not no longer in the world to be transformative. And this is a big, big problem. I think I see in our in our church today. And and I want to read just a real quick verse here. Galatians five thirteen. It says, "You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free." But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Now, um, I think we forget to address this. We're forgetting this um, in South Sudan because of the lack of discipleship. We're forgetting it here in the, in the Western world as well. That we're, we're, We've got the freedom, but that doesn't give us a right to just indulge in whatever we want. We are to be transformative. Because this personal transformation then transforms all aspects of a person's life. Their work, their family, their politics, all of it becomes transformed. And then the result then, we have the problem is, is confirmation, the solution is transformation, and the result then is global restoration. I would have said global reset, but it doesn't fit with my alliteration there. So global <laughs> restoration. <laughs> and this last part of the verse, I want to read to you actually in the New Living Translation. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Because what this means about by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, for you. Now, one of the interesting things, people spend a lot of time and money on books to try and figure out what is their purpose and, you know, spiritual gifts and all of those things, which are really important. But do you know that you and I, we are created beings. We are created by God. And there is no, nothing that has ever been created that needs to discover its purpose because it was created for a purpose. And so you already have a purpose. You don't have to find your purpose. You just need to do it. And this is what I think is really interesting uh, that Paul continues in, in 12. After verse 2, you get a little warning about not getting too big for your britches, as my mother would say. But then we jump down to verse 6, and it says, In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is encouraging others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. 
So wherever your gifts and talents are, it's a real good indication of what your purpose is. Because more than likely, God didn't call you into something that's totally out of your wheelhouse. Now, there are exceptions to that. Ask Moses, you know. But God then gave him what he needed to be able to do the job. So what I recommend to people when they're saying, what am I supposed to be doing? Wherever you are, you look around to what needs to be done. Where is God doing, doing something? And you join him. God didn't ask you to begin a new work, really. He just said, come alongside me in, in the work that I'm doing here and do what I have gifted you to do. I've given you the tools. Look around you and then do what I've given you to do. And that results in global restoration. Iowa. <laughs> so when you think about restoration, um, that's an interesting word, too, in that we're to restore virtues and truth uh, to, to society. And we bring the truth from God's word back in to society that's been lost. And most of history has been movement backwards. We have this, these humanistic ideas that we're gradually progressing toward a utopian society. Couldn't be farther from the truth. And you can see the transformation backwards in the U.S. as we move away, move away from, from these value systems. But we are to restore virtues and truth to, to society. And you see this happening kind of in waves up and down in history. History. Most people don't realize that uh, the late 1700s, they did a survey of Harvard University. They could not find any Christians in Harvard University. They went to Princeton. They found two kind of closet Christians. And the, and the, um, the thing that was happening is the the young people would get together and they would try to tell the most dirty jokes they could, they, could, they could tell. And then people started praying in different parts of the country and this prayer movement started to fill churches when, when previously the churches couldn't even, couldn't even muster enough congregants and they were starting to merge because they couldn't fill and people were leaving the ministry because they'd never seen a convert in say 15 years. But then this, this second great awakening came in and we went from 5% church attending in the, in the United States to 55% in just a few decades. That kind of dedication to prayer and this, all the charities, they all emerged from that time period just about. All the, you know, the Goodwill and Salvation Army, all those things. That's the kind of aid um, and charity focus. And, and I always direct people back to that when I'm talking to people in the UN or whatever, I said, this is when we had the excellence. It was in the Second Great Awakening. And we've lost a lot of that. We, we're, we're doing this um, needs assessment. We give people things, things. That doesn't restore them. We have to get back to the, to the, to the Christian worldview, and that's going to be restored. Otherwise, you're creating dependency entitlements. So we are one of the few 
few people in South Sudan that's working there to focus the limelight on what really needs to happen, happen. And the same is true in the United States. If you can focus the limelight on what really needs to happen, the transformation and the restoration of Christ in people's lives, you will make a difference. Otherwise, you're just doing needs assessment and you're giving people things and you're creating dependency and entitlement. And this is not what, what we need here. It's not what we need in South Sudan. We don't need people treated as if they're um, some kind of a trans transaction to give them and we and we give money from a distance and uh, we expect the government to do all this and answer all our all our problems and supply everything we need that's not what it's about as soon as we started transferring all these responsibilities over to the government to take care of people that's where the church lost its its effectiveness it lost its answer its its ability to provide an answer to the to the problems that people had we have a lot of fear today over COVID, but do we have answers? Are we getting in there into the trenches and saying, saying, how do we help people? How do we do, how do we do this? Or are we talking about really strange conspiracy theories? theories? I'm not talking about all the conspiracy theories, but sometimes we get so wrapped up in the conspiracy theories that we, that we um, lose sight of what, of getting in the trenches and getting and being relevant to the questions that the world is asking. And um, some conspiracy theories, they have a real basis of truth, truth, and some, some, some don't. And, and we need to show excellence in analyzing these. And so we have talking points, the world that's relevant to the, to the world. And, we, and we're coming in and, and, and with relationships and truly caring and showing compassion like Jesus did. He demonstrated these things for us. And uh, we don't need to move to Idaho and get out of this situation. We want we need to get in and get in the trenches and get and get like like the um, the charities of the 1800s where they divided up the city and they said, we're going to mass volunteers and get out there and do the and do the work. And and they said they said um, they had a system that was A, B, C, D, F, G. I can't go into it all. But first, first was affiliation, reaffiliating people back with the with the brokenness that they had caused I mean, or they had been involved in. And it's broken relationships is the main element of poverty. And then bonding. And they said that a charity worker could only work for three or three or four different people, um, different different uh, families at a time, because most of that needed to be reconnected back to the relationships they'd broken. Once they're restored, you didn't have as much need to work with huge, huge numbers of people. And then and then um, uh, categorization and seeing if people are willing to work. And today today we think we think oh we'll just give them things. And so we can reroute. We have the answers. Christianity has answers to the problems of people, yes. but we, yes. we are not excellent, extraordinarily excellent, and we're going to go backwards unless we show this extraordinary excellence in, in, in getting together and addressing these, these problems. And, and the same is true in South Sudan, and we need your help. Um, not so much, I wouldn't say so much financially, but we've been in the Sunday school class in particular, we talked about the ways that you guys could help us. Even now with technology, there's no easier time in history to connect with the, with the world out there and to come in with advice and mentoring, mentoring and, and use our gifts and, and things that we take for granted, just being able to cook a meal or, or, or cater something or, or, or fix something um, with, with basic skills. These are things that, is, that a country that's been in civil war, the second longest running civil war in, in modern history since 1956 has been mostly civil war. Give them a chance 
to to pull out of that and ground them in Christian worldview so they have an opportunity to do that. As Dan said, it comes down to compassion. And, and the word I even like better than compassion is love. God's word, God's message always comes back to love. Dan and I have recently kind of rebranded our ministry, given it a new name, and we call it Radical Abundance with a tagline that says extravagant love. That's what God has given us is extravagant love. And that's what he has called us to give to others. And then transformational grace, because grace is what Christ gave to us when he took our place on the cross, not only dying for our sin and taking our punishment, not because we repented, regardless, regardless of anything we did or said, Christ died for us, even if we don't know it. And that is grace. Now, when we come to faith and acknowledge it, that's grace activated in our lives. Radical abundance of uh, <laughs> radical abundance of everything that God has given us, but his extravagant love lavished all over us and his transformational grace. And so I wonder when we go out there and we confront the culture, do we confront the culture with extravagant love or do we confront the culture with extravagant extreme criticism? I don't know anyone who has ever been won over by criticism. I just don't. Because then people begin arguing for the sake of arguing. But love transforms. And so let's go to our culture with love. And I love where Paul, this is verse 9, the next one right where I left off. It says, don't just pretend to love others. Give them something. Make yourself feel better, you know, those types of things. Don't just pretend to love them, regardless of what they look like. Maybe they look a little different than you. Maybe they think a little different. They talk a little different. They believe a little different. Don't just pretend to love them and give them lip service. That's not very loving, actually, is it? Really love them. And how do you really love them? My recommendation is to begin to see them for who they are. Do you know who they are? They are image bearers of the one true God created in his image to do great things in this world, just like you and me. They might not know it yet, but that's who they are. So when you look at someone who looks different, acts different, talks different, believes different, if you can say, wow, look what God did there. They don't know what they're made for yet, but they were made for something. Yes. Love them. Yes. And pull it forth. Yeah. Bless you. Thank you. I wish God's radical abundance of love and grace in your life, and thank you for 